Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD News Director Will Stevenson. For the second time in the last several weeks, Governor J.B. Pritzker came to Peoria in the past week. This time, he was promoting one of the main proposals he made in his recent State of the Union and Budget Address, $350 million to expand child care and early childhood initiatives in Illinois. Pritzker came to Valeska Hinton Early Childhood Center. We feature the governor a lot in recent weeks, so I thought I'd let you hear from some of the other people at the event this past week, starting with Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton. Thank you to the best governor in the country, Governor J.B. Pritzker. Thank you for that warm introduction and for your unwavering leadership to make Illinois the best state to raise young children. And for those of us who love children and love the children of Illinois, your fiscal year 24 state of the state and budget address last week was absolutely thrilling to hear. Uh, thank you for your bold leadership. The governor has already acknowledged all of our elected officials and special guests. So in the interest of time, I just want to thank you all for being here today and for loving the children of Illinois so much that you spend every waking hour trying to make their lives better and their futures better, brighter. You know, it's Black History Month, so there are two highly qualified women that I want to specifically honor. Of course, Mayor Dr. Rita Ali, the first black woman to serve as mayor of Peoria. Thank you for hosting us in your fair city. And our her story making chief budgeteer in the Illinois House of Representatives, Leader Jahan Gordon Booth, the first woman and first black person to serve in that role. Thank you for all that you do. I join the governor in thanking Superintendent Dr. Sharon Karat and all the passionate, dedicated educators, leadership, and parents of the Valeska Hinton Early Childhood Education Center. Valeska Hinton was a force to be reckoned with, and every day you honor her and her unapologetic advocacy for Peoria's children by ensuring our little ones, like all of those joining us this morning, can benefit from the right to a quality education and live out their dreams. I'm proud to join you all and mark another milestone in our mission to uplift early childhood education and childcare. As we come together to uplift these investments, we're really celebrating a family reunion. In Illinois, we are family because we take care of one another. We see how our diverse stories connect us, how our future depends on each of us having the tools we need to succeed. The children across our state are our babies, because when we build them up to be strong, resilient, and well-rounded adults, we build the foundation for a thriving society. Studies show that by age five, 90% of a child's brain has already developed, so we must take the critical steps to touch their lives and to teach them well before that. Smart Start Illinois is the plan that can and will achieve this by providing access to preschool for every three and four-year-old in our state. And these critical steps are made by you, they're made by me, but mostly by our early childhood professionals. They are family. Family because they come to work every day to foster a love of learning that children will hold on to for the rest of their lives. And these professionals, who are predominantly women and people of color, deserve the respect and attention that shows they are an invaluable part of this family unit. 
Smart Start Illinois provides that by working towards stable funding for high-quality programming pushed forward by an expanded workforce that can succeed alongside the next generation. And to the parents and guardians in rural and urban regions who are working, going to school, or finding the next opportunity that will allow them to put food on the table, to the black and brown families in childcare deserts who have felt that they and their needs have gone unseen and unheard, we are a part of your family too. I say this not just as your lieutenant governor, but also as the mother of four daughters, as a working mother who understands what it's like when you know you have a job to do and you know your children deserve the best start in life. But without the adequate support, it's not always clear how you can manage to pursue your dreams for yourself as well as for your children. I stand before you today because access to childcare for my daughters has allowed me to do the work that I needed to do. And I stand before you alongside our governor and these incredible leaders to tell you that you are not alone because we are raising our babies with the best supports to live happy, healthy, and fulfilling lives. You can imagine something bigger and greater for your child, your career, and your family because we have already laid out the vision to get us there today. And we look forward to working with Leader Gordon Booth and our partners in the General Assembly to get it done. Thank you so much, and I now pass it over to an inspiring school leader, Principal Katie Cobb. Good morning, my name is Katie Cobb, and uh, welcome to Valeska Hinton Early Childhood Education Center. We are honored to have you here, and we are proud of our early childhood program and to have the opportunity to share it with you. The Valeska Hinton Early Childhood Education Center is named for and dedicated to Valeska Hinton, a prominent African-American community activist who at her time was remembered as the mother of the civil rights movement. Mrs. Hinton was a woman who was not afraid to speak out about the needs of our children and their parents and truly believed that the education of young children would result in the measurable benefits throughout their lives. Valeska Hinton's intellect and courage and her insights live on in the lives of the countless individuals whom she has influenced. Our work at Valeska Hinton Early Childhood Education Center represents her passionate advocacy for children and the embodiment of her life's work. Here at Valeska Hinton, we serve 618 students at two campuses and currently have a waiting list of 318 students. Our two campuses include classrooms for Preschool for All, Preschool for All Expansion programs, our dual language programs, special education student, and programs for the deaf and hard of hearing students. Our many programs provide opportunities for all of our young learners to experience a high quality educational experience following Valeska Hinton's model to ensure diversity, equity, and inclusion. A child's early years are the foundation of his or her future development, providing a strong base for lifelong learning and learning abilities, including cognitive and social development and the ideal time to begin modeling and promoting the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. A child's experiences in early care and education can alter the trajectory of their life, having a massive impact on future education, future earnings, and future health. Our building is organized in five classroom villages, exemplifying the collaborative community school model. The African proverb, it takes a village, seems even more relevant and more than ever 
before. We understand the concept of the village is the belief that it takes many people to provide a safe, healthy environment for our children, an environment where children are given the security they need to develop and flourish and be able to realize their hopes and dreams. This requires an environment where multiple people, including parents, extended family members, teachers, professionals, community members, and policymakers care for a child. Following Valeskahan's example of power and impact of bringing the community, we have established a collaborative relationship with social service agencies, faith-based organizations within our community to provide the resources and support opportunities for our families and young learners. These relationships also support parents' roles as the valued community members and support their progress toward the goals for their, they have themselves and their children. Research continues to emphasize the importance of early childhood education as an essential building block for the child's future success. Having access to high quality early childhood education is absolutely vital, and we are incredibly grateful to Governor Pritzker for his commitment to Illinois children and families. With each year our waiting list grows, and this year with more than 300 on our waiting list, the funding is crucial that more than ever. More Week in Review coming up. There may be some help coming to the Peoria Civic Center after all. This as a lease with the Peoria Riverman is close to expiring. The public urging the Civic Center to do whatever is necessary to get the team to stay. And a $47 million list of capital improvements to get done, but only $25 million in state grant money with which to do it. So what to do about the rest of the cost? City Manager Patrick Urich has an answer that he talks about with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. Going back a couple of weeks, Councilman Dennis Sear asked us to um, have a discussion at the City Council about um, the ice plant, the Peoria Riverman, what can we do? Right. In the discussions that we've had with the Civic Center Authority, they've told us that they have this $22 million of unmet capital needs. Right. Back in 2007, the City of Peoria spent $55 million in bonds, or, or issued $55 million in bonds to renovate the Civic Center. Was that the addition? That was that, the yeah, addition the addition. Okay. So our hotel, restaurant, and amusement taxes are really used to help to, f to manage the capital side of the Civic Center, to fund the CVB's operations, to, to help to support kind of the tourism arts industry that we have sure. here in, in, in Peoria. And so um, as we started to look at the debt, from that 2007 expansion, it's going to fall off in 2028, and that's about six to seven million dollars a year. Okay. So as that debt falls off, we started to look at it, say, to see if we could close the gap on the the Civic Center's capital needs. Okay. Uh, which are more than the ice plant, but but it, so we looked at that and we said we could probably finance 20 million dollars right now, and and you know for six years just pay interest on that that debt and then pay that down over the next 14 years. So that so that we could you know help to close this this capital need that they've got. Got it. And so we've been I think able to come up with the numbers that that make sense. So then we talked to the Civic Center Authority about that and said we can also you know as we look at this as we cascade all of that money through um, that we can we can provide you with the maintenance support that they need to maintain a building as well. So because they have uh, you know as you said earlier you know you get a you get a broken sink. You know, you get a flooded, sure, uh, you tons know, of stuff, roof, man. You're, you're a leaky roof, and you got a, a ceiling tiles you got to fix. Right, something breaks. You've got and, and that's just 
the bottom line maintenance, like in 07 when you invested in the expansion, you have to compete with all the other convention centers. So this is just their wish list of stuff that needs to be fixed. You still need to look forward to hopefully get money to upgrade other areas to yeah. compete with other civic that's centers. True. That's absolutely true. And I think yeah. that that's when you look at the list of things that they have, you know, they've got the back of the house stuff like hot water heaters and, and the chillers that, that, you know, cool the building in the summertime. But then they also have things like carpet and the refresh mm-hmm. that you need. The carpet in yeah. the building is 16 years old. And so it's starting to show. Yeah, think about way. your own home for a moment and how you have to keep up on that or it just starts falling apart. It's just that by a, a million or a thousand or whatever it is. Uh, I, here's what I'm confused about because people get very excited uh, people get very emotional and and not all and, and i'll admit i don't quite understand this either but you'll you'll hear oh the city oh yeah uh, my tax dollars are going to do this again i'm getting hit as a taxpayer explain that to me whether that's true or not so so in this instance we we are we have three taxes that that come in that we call our hra taxes our hotel tax yeah. which is eight percent on every hotel night that when somebody stays uh, in a hotel here in Peoria, a 2% restaurant tax. And so when you go out to eat and you buy food out, out at dinner, that's a 2% tax that comes back. And then a 3% amusement tax, which if you go to a show, if you go to an event, um, if you're anything that you're going that's an amusement, mm. uh, there's, there's a 3% charge. Okay. And that money generates about $10.6 million. And then as we... we annually? Annually. Annually. Right? And so, so then a good chunk of that goes to pay the debt service. And then, it, and then it kind of winds its way down, funding the operations of the CVB, funding our tourism reserve fund, which we use to, to support events and activities in the community, supports the Civic Center, supports arts partners, um, helps to, 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 you know, we put some of that money towards roads and, and the impact, you know, okay. it's a way that we can shift some of that sure. money towards roads. And that works its way down. And then, and then you know, we have what's left that, that we use so- to... I'm paying taxes in through HRA, but it's not affecting me any other way There's, as a resident of this community. There is no other way. And, and you know, what this plan would do would provide that $20 million of additional debt right. to help the Civic Center, and it wouldn't. there would be no increase in taxes from what's currently on the books right Got now. Got it. Okay. So then we have this ice plant situation. So the ice plant, so, so effectively what I'm hearing is uh, the $47 million identified uh, capital needs is now uh, there's there's $45 million available if this works, if this all gets approved, and, and that we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing then in there is, hey, we have now uh, figured out a way to spend 3 or $4 million, whatever it's going to take for an ice plant, uh, with securing then the Riverman's future. Uh, is that something we do? Uh, how long is this process taking? What is the next thing to happen? Well, you know, one of the challenges when you're operating a building like the Civic Center is that you have to have a, a, a period of time where you can shut down the arena so you don't have any events or activities going Correct. on. Correct. So it's not likely that this year we'll see the ice plant come in because there's there's already events that are booked and things. There's not there's no window for it. They'll probably have to maintain the ice the way that they've been doing it, which is is really kind of duct holding tape. this duct tape, a lot of and, duct tape, lot, lot of duct tape yeah. and and uh, cans of of freon, freon. that are holding it together. Yeah, and truly, so. that I, I, we can't overemphasize that 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 uh, that current plant is just old, and it leaks. And that stuff's not not. Greg, it needs a lot of DW forty. Yeah, our dad, our both of our dads called WD forty DW forty. Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of DW forty spraying. Just and, keep and, it going. And old guys going, yeah, I can get that. Uh, but but the, but all kidding aside, the truth is, there's no time 
to uh, uh, to do that so that this next season has a new plant. It, it, yeah, it's not likely that we're going to see but the can new we, plant this year. As, as far as you know, and maybe you're not the right person to ask this to, but as far as you know, can we hobble along one more year with what we got? I, I think they can. And Is there I, money in that $20 million to keep it going? Because that's expensive to keep I, it going. It, it's really more of an operating expense okay. than a capital spend. Okay. I mean, the, the money that we issue is going to be for the, the stuff that's going into the building. Got it's it. going to be there for a long time. But what I don't understand is this is an idea that just was presented to the public uh, through this meeting, which is a public meeting, yesterday. What happens next? So Thursday, the Civic Center Authority full board This Thursday, tomorrow. This Thursday. Tomorrow. Uh, So they'll meet tomorrow, and they'll discuss this at their meeting. And then next Tuesday evening, uh, we plan on having a conversation with the city council, where we'll conceptually talk about this, um, talk through in in a public setting, and let them have that discussion, let them ask questions, um, try and get that done. And if everyone's in agreement that this is the course of, of, of action we want to take, then the next step is come the first meeting in March for the city council, which is March 14th. Okay. We would have um, a bond ordinance on that would that would say that the city is going to authorize the sale of $20 million. And at that point, then the city council members vote yes or no, yay or nay no. on that. But at any point, frankly, uh, I, don't, I hope this is not – I'm not predicting the future, but at any point – the, the authority board could say no, and the city council could say no. The authority could say no. The city council could say no. And the other key piece is that the rivermen and yes. the Civic Center Authority have to negotiate a new lease. Right. There so is no lease currently. There is no lease yeah, right. past this year. Right. So they have to get to the table, and they have to, to come to terms on a new lease. And that's that's something that the city council is not going to get into, I don't Obviously. think. Well, um, and if you look at the way the dominoes fall... Um, you have to get that lease signed first because why spend the money if they're not going to be there? So that's right. almost like the first key for all. Yeah, of this, there's right? chicken and egg thing there almost. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah, definitely concurrent tracks. Go ahead. Does Dan. it does it help knowing that we can't do it this year because it takes time to order the plant? You mean the plant, yeah, yeah. and there are already events scheduled. Does that kind of help? Because there's no time pressure now. Now you can take your time, lay it out. People can see what it's all about, and you're not. They don't feel like you're pushing it through. Yeah, I, I do think that that there's there's some of that 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 goes along with that. I also think um, the Civic Center Authority and the Rivermen, um, the Rivermen were concerned about dates for next year, and the Civic Center Authority uh, gave them a list of potential dates uh, so mm-hmm. that they could. If you think about a sports league, they sure. have to schedule. Yeah, yeah. scheduling is hard. Of all yeah, that yeah. difficult. So, yeah. so they gave them some some potential future dates that they could look at, and and hopefully they're able to. To, to get to a, a good lease, but you know that's the the piece that's going to come between the authority. Sure. And the After a Peoria Civic Center Authority board meeting later in the week, the board's chairperson and Greg Batten's wife Yvonne Greer mentioned that the forty seven million dollar estimate is four years old, and, and projects they have undertaken are costing more money. So the two million dollar shortfall will likely be more. And the work will in no way guarantee the Rivermen will stay, since due diligence has yet to be done with the team. More Week in Review, coming up. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a pretty big basketball game going on this weekend. The Bradley University men's basketball team will take on Drake at Carver Arena Sunday afternoon. 
It's the final regular season game for the Braves following an otherwise incredible season and win streaks aplenty. While the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament is in less than a week, this game marks the essential conference title game. We get a preview from Coach Brian Wardle through WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. I can't think of the last Bradley game that I've gone to where I was as excited as I am about this one on Sunday. I am really excited about it. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, it's a, no, we feel good. I mean, it's it's obviously a big game. We know that. They've kind of all been big games for us. Yeah, they year, so. yeah. And we've played in front of some big crowds already this year, and we know we're going to have a great crowd on Sunday. Oh, my gosh. Our Bradley fans will be out there cheering us on. So, you know, we just, we've taken it one day at a time like we have all year, every season, and we just got to have a great practice today, tomorrow, and focus on the details and come out and keep our heads, play calm, but also – you know, use the energy of the crowd to to make us get on some runs and, and use that crowd to motivate us and, and generate some energy for us when we need it. You know, I was telling Greg, uh, last regular season title, 95-96, Chad Klein was a part of that. But I can't remember Bradley playing for the Valley title at home against another great team on the last day of the season it's like, what more, if you're a fan, do you want from this season? Yeah, this is been it's, a great It's season. steak and lobster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of worked out that way um, as this season's gone on. And, and I'm, I'm proud of our group because I honestly, I, I told them after we lost to Belmont at home and we gave that game away, you know, we were pretty, everybody was really, very frustrated. And, and I showed them our, the rest of our schedule and I said, hey, you got to believe we can run the table here. If we focus, we can run the table and, and get to, it should still have a chance to win this whole thing. And, and they believed it. And, and we worked, you know, we kind of looked at the schedule, looked at our opponents travel and we knew it was going to be a hard task. And we knew, uh, we were going to have to play well and, and win a lot of road games to do it because we still had a lot of road games left, but they focused and came together. And again, our mental toughness has gotten better. Uh, in big moments, we're staying calm, we're responding better. And our execution has gotten better, and that's what's helped us be where we're at today. And we're going to need all that on Sunday. Bradley and Drake, 3 o'clock start. Uh, Danny Brace Plus 2 on Sunday. Uh, we talked to Bobby Parker yesterday. Tickets available online, of course, bradleybraves.com. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, but if you need to go to the box office, Renaissance Coliseum up on Main Street, they'll be happy to help you. But don't wait. Let's go. Let's pack it in. Everybody wear red, and uh, let's get there early so we get to our seats before the game starts and we're ready to uh, roll at tip-off. I was telling Danny, uh, Coach, there's two things I really like watching in, in a lot of aspects of the game that are fun these days. But when Rink, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to call it because it's not a sky hook necessarily, whatever that is, that little flip thing he does. I love those. And when he also steps back and, and pops one of those threes, those are thrilling. Those, he's playing some great basketball. Yeah, he's playing confident right now, aggressive. And he's a mismatched five man that can shoot the three and go inside and score one-on-one in the post. So yeah. he's, been, he's been a huge threat for us all year it's a, it's a great inside out combination we have and I, you know, I like what we've done down the stretch we've kind of find our, our our rhythm and identity a little more in offensively the last 10 games and Rink and Jay Hen in the post and Darius in the post have been a big part of that yeah you know you're I always say the strength of your team is you're kind of a hydra other teams you go okay we got to stop him and, the, and this other person or we got to keep these two in check your team you don't know 
you could have as long as two of the four bigs, Rank, Malavai, uh, Jashawn, or Hannah, is around ten points, and then two of your four guards, uh, you know, with Hick and Zeke and uh, Vlay and Duke, as long as some of them are eight nine points. You get a good inside outside balance, you're in every game and, and no one can say, Well, you gotta stop him because there's so many players that can score. Well uh, yeah, you're right, Dan. In nineteen and in twenty, we had that versatility offensively too. I believe in that. We you, I don't think you can be one dimensional in February and March. I think one dimensional teams wear down and you get exposed the second and third time you play teams. And so we don't want to be one-dimensional offensively, and we're not. I mean, we've had games where we've hit 12, 13 threes, and we've had games where we've pounded into the post for, you know, 50 points in the paint. And I, I like that versatility, and I think that's the hardest to guard this time of year because everybody knows your personnel. They know your plays. You've got to be able to have – you've got to go to be able to go to option C and B, not A and B, because Drake's going to take away our number one and two options. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to go to option three and four to score. And I think that's important for teams this time of year. And it's always helped us have success. You know, when you were down 9-2 to Velpo, I'm like, nah, I'm not worried. Because you're yeah, up clapping. You're like, okay, <laughs> shots are coming inside our offense. <laughs> Everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. And you're up cheering them on. I'm like, okay, we got this. I had that's that same thought, Danny. I was like, that's no big deal. Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, fo- uh, 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 coach, for folks who don't know Drake very well, uh, um, like myself, I can't tell you what I'm supposed to be looking for. What should I be watching? Well, one of the oldest teams in the country. they got three guys that are 25 years old. Um, very good team. They play about six, seven guys. They don't go real deep, but you got Roman, you know, probably two first-team All-Valley guys for sure. I think Roman Penn's got a great chance to be player of the year. Just the way he's played the last 12, 13 games, he's really played at a high, high level. And then you got Tucker DeVries, the coach's son, Darren's son, who's one of the leading scorers in our league. So they got a great one-two punch. They got really good pieces. And they're a very good team. I mean, they, you know, they're a tough matchup for most teams, especially with a great point guard and a really good scorer at the wing. So we're going to have to be very disciplined and, and lock in to certain things defensively to, to stop them because they're, they're a very potent offensive team, put it that way. Okay. You know, I thought the, the, the last time you played them, I thought Duke – as short as he was for a couple of short spans, really frustrated Tucker DeVries. He didn't allow him to get going, and Duke's quick was right in his face like a pest. And then uh, another matchup I'm really looking forward to, Connor Hickman, our best that everyone says on-ball defender, against Penn. That's really going to be a challenge for Hickman. Yeah, I think you'll see hit guard Penn. I think you'll put Zeke on Penn and relay bigger bodies you got to have bigger guards on Penn because if he has anyone his size or smaller, he's 25 years old. I mean, he plays like a grown man and and, and, and a very good decision maker, and he, he really kind of runs that team and runs the show and gets them going. So we're going to have to keep contain him, obviously. And and you won't see Duke on Tucker DeVries much, maybe on a switch you saw it once or yeah. twice in the first game, but that is not the matchup we want. <laughs> we're going to probably have to see. You're going to see Malavai on Tucker DeVries a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to have to do in order to just contain him because he's such a good scorer and he can heat up from deep. And so him and Wilkins can really, really, really shoot it. And, you know, they're a good team. I mean, their their record speaks for itself. They're the old, one of the oldest teams in the country. They're well coached. Uh, I think we have the highest net. They're second. We're one and two in everything. Uh, so it's going to be a great battle on Sunday. I was telling Greg 
because uh, you're always pushing for that 40-minute game. Because after Missouri State, we did, I mean, the numbers were good, but there was a few times that uh, they kind of got out of a uh, game plan. And Greg was wondering about that. I go, from all the years sitting down at that Mallee tournament, the intensity level from the the first tip to every loose ball is like a just the regular season on steroids. And, and to get your team in that frame of mind, uh, you know, you you can't have lapses, three, four-minute lapses mentally down there. And it, it's tough. Uh, I thought Southern Illinois was that type of an environment, and you found a way to win. Drake this Sunday is going to be that type of an environment. But the Valley Tournament, when you get down there, that intensity is just so much more than the regular season. Yeah, you're right. And we've had some games with that intensity already. And, and honestly, Great Dan, like my biggest concern is being at home Sunday, and I told my players instantly, is no distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've played in these big games at, when I was a head coach at Green Bay and we won league titles and played in league title games. It Being at home, there's almost more pressure. There's more distractions because you have people coming out of the woodwork. I have people texting me that I haven't heard from in years. <laughs> so does my wife. So do my players. Like, they can get distracted with tickets. Family starts blowing them up and asking for this. Friends start texting them, I need tickets, I want to be here. And it can be a big distraction. And so I've kind of told my players, like, you block all that noise out. You let Chris Braun handle your tickets. We are not dealing with distractions. we got to take this game like any other game and be focused and dialed yeah. in. Because, honestly, Drake's going Drake's to come in and play loose and free because they view the pressures on Bradley because they're at home. Yeah. And it, it's kind of true. And so we got to just stay focused outside the court and then we'll play well for two hours at 3 p.m. on Sunday. I truly believe that. You can hear the Bradley game versus Drake Sunday afternoon, starting with the Braves Plus pregame show at 2.05. Tip-off is at 3, all on 1470 and 100.3 WMBD. More Week in Review coming up. The number of COVID-19 cases in Illinois and the number of counties at elevated levels of spread of the disease have both stayed pretty even in recent weeks. Not going down, but not skyrocketing up either. As Illinois and the U.S. prepare to lift public health emergencies related to COVID, it's giving us time to think about what's been learned three years since the pandemic began. Dr. Doug Casper with the University of Illinois College of Medicine talks about some of those things learned with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. As of uh, late last week, there's still 40,000 people in the United States are, that are new COVID cases, that doesn't necessarily lead to hospitalizations, though. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. There's There's been a couple different things with COVID that appear to be uh, contradictory but are actually quite a positive or supportive uh, stories. And the first one is that it's become quite clear that the strength of uh, natural infection generating immunity has been one of the keys that uh, for the last year has allowed us to remain with very low hospitalization, meaning that natural COVID infection, which almost you know the majority of the population had between sure. January of last year and January of this year with one of the Omicron variants, has held up really, really well with preventing a severe infection if the person is exposed or becomes infected a second time. And so that's led to some discussion about, you know, that we've really pushed hard with vaccination, but now it's become clear that the natural infection leading to immunity is very valuable. 
Now, the other side of that coin is that, um, you know, these longer-term effects from COVID, which we, we group together as a saying is long COVID, but they're really, they're really discrete different examples for each person, have been shown to be more severe after natural infection uh, versus those that were up-to-date on vaccine. And specifically, the one in the last week has been cardiac effects, the long-term cardiac effects, people who get infected with COVID, uh, especially if they're older or have other conditions, can be more severe than those that were vaccinated. And so put that all together, and you have a picture where the vaccine helps protect against uh, initial effects from infection. It helps prevent against development of long COVID outcomes. But the natural infection that can still occur, you can still be exposed after vaccine, also adds to this this robust immunity that we've obtained across our region. Yeah, that does. Uh, but those both of those stories do seem to be opposite of each other. That's interesting. The the uh, natural infection. Uh, now that we know this, and I was reading up on that as well, uh, uh, that came out the other day from the CDC, um, and how well it works. I think lends fuel because in this country these days we we like to argue about everything, and uh, I hear from people who never wanted uh, any of the uh, pandemic things to be true. They never wanted uh, to hear that uh, things needed to be shut down or that their masks should be worn, and all of those things are now turning to that information and saying, "See, I told you we didn't need to do any of that." But but that's not accurate. Explain how that's not accurate. Yeah, there's there's really there's two time periods within um, COVID in our country, and so there's the initial period leading up to widespread availability of a vaccine, and then there's the post-vaccine period, and these are actually really different as far as outcome severity um, and how we provided guidance now. What happened was is that the pre-vaccine period uh, was we almost forget how severe across the country. Forget about the stories about ventilator shortages and mass hospitalization, yeah. uh, because the vaccine was so successful at largely, uh, along with natural infection, and while those two happening over time together at protecting our community. But certainly, it's true, and this post-vaccine you know, vaccine availability period is different. And so the policies took a while to adjust. I mean, a while being over a year in some cases to really adjust. And so that's where the frustration stems from. But we, when you look at it in retrospect, these were really different periods of time. And the guidance accordingly should have been much different for, for the two groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, someone, uh, a listener, sent me this. And then the resource is the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority, and it shows between uh, April of 2020 and December of 2022 that there are actually, based on the wastewater, there are more uh, cases of COVID now than there were back in, uh, let's see, what was this, Twenty April 2020, there was almost two to three times more in the Boston area wastewater in December 2022, but because it's so mild, do you think people just got it, didn't really know it, or maybe just thought it was the flu? 
this is the this is what we were talking about. This is the build up. It's this consistent, uh, continued build up of immunity, both natural and vaccine derived, that has created this. You know, it's it's hard to quantify because we can't mass test everybody and say, you know, you have robust immunity or you, you know, you have protection for this long. And so what we use is those surrogate markers like you're describing where you see that certainly there's still virus present in the community, but it's not it's not leading to uh, the severe effects, the hospitalizations, the, you know, the mass illness that we had seen even within the last year. And so it's that is another key point about how uh, much protection has been generated just through continued infection along with vaccination. One last one. I saw this and I, I, I chuckled just a little bit because uh, <laughs> there is a story and some studies that uh, are, um, that long COVID sufferers are benefiting, uh, Dan and doctor, from exercise. And that makes me chuckle just a bit because we all benefit from exercise. Yeah. But some of these folks who have a lot of uh, long COVID symptoms, including uh, respiratory distress and so on and so forth, have been put through some programs uh, supervised by medical people. And it's it's quite successful. Doctor, your reaction to that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a wonderful story to hear. I think that part of it is sometimes, especially in northern climates, we've forget how easy it is to become sedentary at parts of the year. You know, mm-hmm. it's just cold and it's dark and it's difficult to, you know, to find time. And so, um, you know, sometimes when things are prescribed, even if they're not a medication, you know, they're, they're a prescription of exercise or a prescription of physical therapy, the um, it changes the tone for the person on how to approach it. You know, it becomes more of a, a serious nature rather than an extracurricular. And so, uh, you know, we try to do this in school. We prescribe extra, you know, we do gym class in school mm-hmm. in this manner to try to introduce it to children. But I think that it reflects that under supervision with increased adherence and intensity, you get better results. Dr. Doug Casper, I hope you enjoy the day. Thank you for your time, as always, on the Greg and Dan Show. Dr. Doug Casper, University of Illinois College of Medicine here in Peoria. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD News.